I said good morning and greetings to many of you, but now that I have all of you, I say good morning and greetings to all of you, all present here today. You know, um, I'm pleased to tell you that one half of my children and their families are over here, and that's a great blessing. And, uh, and uh, I would say two-thirds of my grandchildren as well, and that's another great blessing. And I want to say greetings to all of my friends from Covenant Village and elsewhere from our church membership who are with us on live stream. And I have others, friends and families, and I think you do too, who are from around the world who are watching us this morning. So I say greetings to you as well. And then there's one final greeting I want to make, and it's to um, my dear neighbors next door, uh, David and Harriet. They wanted to be here? (laughs) They couldn't. Greetings, David. I promise you I'll tell him that. Well, we're going to be in the uh, book of uh, Titus today, and I would invite you to uh, turn to Titus. Um, Titus is a real small letter. It's, um, if you're looking for it in the Bible and you're not quite sure where it is, it's right behind uh, the Timothys. So if you get to First and Second Timothy, and you will find Titus right behind there. And we'll, we'll be in the second chapter of Tim, uh, uh, Titus. But um, I'd like to open this morning by the way Paul opens his letter to uh, the, the, the man Titus and his letter. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Well, today is December 26th. And it's the day after Christmas. I think we've made it through another Christmas, all of us. And I hope you all have had a wonderful day. I hope you all had a wonderful day of Christmas. And of course, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. But Christmas is also a day of giving and receiving gifts from family and friends. And so as uh, I was thinking of that, I decided, well, I would have the title of my sermon be The Best Christmas Gift Ever. And as I was thinking of what the best Christmas gift ever was, I started thinking back over my life to know what was the best Christmas gift I ever received. And so I don't want to offend anybody in my family who's listening. (laughs) However, I'll say this. I was a young boy about this high, and um, Dad had to go downstairs to the back playroom and make sure that Santa had arrived. And he would open the door, and I can tell you, I never touched a stair going down those steps. I turned hard left and went into what we call the back playroom, and there it was. It was this uh, bright, shiny, silver, three-speed bicycle. It was so cool. It just glimmered. And, you know, it was the best bike on the street and not only was it the best-looking bike on the street, but it was the fastest bike on the street. So that's why I think, I don't know why, I just went to that memory of that, that time. I loved that bicycle. But you know, the bicycle didn't last very long. You know, it could not stand up to the rigors of a young nine-year-old boy who was going to take it and give it the test of its life. And you know, that's the problem for most gifts, isn't it? They're great until they break, they get lost, or they're no longer useful. So then, my thoughts went to, well then, what is the best Christmas gift ever? 
And so now, if you're in a church and you have children in front of you or anybody else and you ask the question like that in a church, the right answer is always Jesus. Jesus. Right, of course. And so I could leave it right there. I could walk away from the podium and I could give you all a late Christmas gift, a short sermon today. (laughs) But I'm not going to do that, of course. But it is true. It's the best and greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ coming into the world. God coming to man, God becoming man, and God fulfilling his covenant promises to man. Making a way for us who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ to live our mortal lives in God's love. And to have the power to overcome our personal sin. And then finally, when we die, to live with God forever in paradise. Jesus coming into our world is a gift that will never break. A gift that will never get lost. And a gift that will never be no longer useful. In fact, we enjoy the gift of get Jesus more and more as we live our lives. Now remember why I said that my bicycle was the best Christmas present ever? It was because my bicycle was the best looking bike on the street and it was the fastest. So then, if Jesus is really the best Christmas gift ever, a fair question to ask is, why? What makes the gift of Jesus the best Christmas gift ever? Well, there could be as many answers to that question as there are followers of Jesus in this room or followers of Jesus throughout the world. But today I get the podium. So I want to tell you why I say Jesus is my best Christmas gift ever. And my reason is because Jesus brought God's grace into the world. Now, grace is the topic of a lot of, lot of books. I like this book. I just reread it again this past couple of weeks. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace, written by Philip Yancey. It's a wonderful book. If you don't have it, get it. It's a wonderful book. It'd make a great Bible study as well. And, you know, theologians throughout the ages have made it a life study all attempting to mine new insights about what grace is. People say, well, what is grace? All these theological efforts are good, of course, but they remind me of a passage at the end of Ecclesiastes. You may know know of this one. Solomon wrote, of making many books, there is no end, and much study, where is the body? Well, I came close to that, wearies of the body, I went to seminary, and in seminary, you read so many books, so many books. I was exhausted all the time, and Susan, being Susan, bought me a Knox Theological Seminary t-shirt, and then she altered the t-shirt to have Solomon's message on the back of it. The making of many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body, because I was weary, let me tell you. 
I never had the guts to wear that shirt to seminary. I wish I had. I, you know, if I go back, I think I'm going over there with that shirt on, right? Well, uh, theologians will certainly continue their quest, but for me, the letter that we're going to look at today, the, Paul's letter to Titus, handles this question very well, what is grace? It's simple, and it's enough. And so I'd like you to look either on screen or uh, in your Bibles on the second chapter of Titus, starting in verse 11, and read along with me. You can say out loud or just watch it on words. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This this passage is very simple, but it's very complete. It's full. And I, I see in this passage three aspects of grace which I'd like to point out to you this morning. The first aspect of grace is God's grace is for all people. Paul wrote, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The second aspect is God's grace is personal. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And then the third aspect, which we'll go over, is God's grace is now. The grace of God empowers us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, I say daily in this present age. So let's take a look at this first aspect of God's grace. God's grace is for all people. You know, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's what Paul writes. And God's grace is a power given to us, and it's a power given to us as a gift. When we believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, as followers of Jesus Christ, we now live in this power of grace. And it changes our lives. All of this is true for us, but just as true, there are many people who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, even over and over, but they have no response of faith. They have no response of trust. Just about all of us have friends and family members outside of the, outside of the church and outside of the faith. And you know, when you interact with people who are outside of the faith and they're your friends and loved ones and they just don't get it, it frust- it's a frustration for us. And it causes us to worry, doesn't it? It causes us to worry about their salvation. And we sometimes wonder, what do do we do? How do I do this? How do I fix this? You know, we cry out to God. You say, God, we've received the gift of faith, so why won't God give the gift of faith to my loved one? This is an earnest prayer. And I don't think there's very many of us who are followers of Christ who haven't had that prayer. The Apostle Peter offers us some comfort in this, in his second letter. This is what he writes. You may follow along. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. 
With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God freely extends his grace to people when he extends his grace freely to people in God's own time, in his time. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. For our part, we need to live God's grace in our own lives, though, and set as an example of how God's love can look. You know, John says, love each other. Jesus said this. John recorded it. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you and remain in my love. We need to reflect God's love. You know, I I love the idea of this. You know how we can look at our our children and we can see um, traits, genetic traits of how they look a little bit like us or they act a little bit like us because we raised them, right? I like the idea that if we're in the world and we're showing love to people, that God looks and he sees a little bit of a reflection of himself. Isn't that a good thought? And that's how we should be with our, with our loved ones who may be outside of the faith at this point. We want to be reflecting Jesus' love. And then we have to then trust and hope that one day, one day our loved ones will hear the gospel yet again and then get it. It's mysterious how it works. We don't know really what has changed. People have heard the exact same thing, the exact same gospel, but something changed, and you know what it is? We know what has changed. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came on them at that one moment. God's Holy Spirit enables our spirits to understand God's divine love and to believe and then to have faith. And this faith is a gift from God. We do nothing to deserve it. It is free. It just comes over us. We get it. By faith, we trust that what God did for us through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection frees us from the power of evil in our lives. And it reunites us with God, making us his children. And when this happens to anyone who is a friend or a loved one, it is a gift to us, and we rejoice. It's a good day. So the first aspect of God's grace, and the reason why it's one of my favorite aspects of God's gift of Jesus is that God's grace came into the world, appeared and offered salvation to all people, and God freely extends his grace to all people in his time. So then the second aspect of grace is grace, God's grace is, for, is very personal. It's personal. And, and Paul writes this. He says, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You see, God's grace is a gift that interacts with, interacts with us personally and in a very unique way. 
We do not need theologians to explain this to us. We understand this truth of grace in our spirit. There is a theologian, though, at Wheaton College named Gary Burge. And Gary Burge wrote this about understanding God's grace and not needing the theologian to teach us about it. He wrote this as a theologian. He says, grace is not merely an attribute of God. Grace is known when someone enjoys God's goodness. It's the recipient who knows grace, not the theologians who have studied it. So again, we understand this truth of grace in our spirit. Now, we all have a unique testimony of when we came to understand and embrace the gospel of Christ. Likewise, at that moment of faith, we each received a unique, full measure of God's grace in our spirits. But we still live in a fallen and corrupted world, don't we? And we also each continue to have selfish and sinful tendencies. These selfish and sinful tendencies easily become life habits, which are hard to turn away from. But as Paul writes, God's grace teaches us to say no. We can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We have that power. We have the ability to say no. You know what it is? This ability to say no is our superpower. And God's grace frees us from these life, these life habits that are bad and frees us to form new life habits, habits apart from sin and evil influences. Paul addresses our freedom in the book of Galatians. He writes this, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Our personal life as a follower of Jesus is a journey of what the Bible calls sanctification. This means we move through life. As we move through life, we continue to grow closer and closer to God, don't we? And we move farther and farther apart from our tendencies to enjoy or be drawn towards sin. God causes, God's grace causes us to hate sin. And over time, our sinful habits get easier and easier to break. So God's grace is for all people. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all. And this is a gift of God. So let's take a look at the second, uh, the third aspect. God's grace is now. Interesting, huh? God's grace is now. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul writes this. He says, the grace of God empowers us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, lives in this present age. Our lives as followers of Jesus are lives formed by grace. 
from beginning to end. And even though we receive a full measure of God's grace when we embrace the gift of faith, our transformation into God's likeness by grace takes even more than a lifetime. But it's interesting to see that God's grace in this passage is presented as a function of time. Paul first states in the, in the beginning of the passage, he says that grace of God has appeared. And you know, this is a very unusual expression in the New Testament. This, where he says the grace of God has appeared. Normally in the New Testament, uh, and throughout the Bible pretty much, grace is always understood as God's unconditional love. Here, Paul is saying grace appeared. And we know in the book of Galatians, Paul also writes, he said that uh, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. So the grace of God came into the world with the arrival of Jesus Christ at a particular time. And that time is when The time had fully come. God sent us his son. And so at Jesus' birth, God's saving love and grace and his eternal kingdom entered our world. So Paul then draws our attention to something else again in time in this passage. He uses in this present age. The force of this expression is to guide us to live godly lives in the present, the today, or the now. Think of it. We can only respond to what is now, can't we? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, the now. We need to be aware of the present and where we are and how we respond in living. Paul refers to this day-by-day awareness in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, you are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, and we are being renewed day by day, time. The Lord's Prayer focuses our attention to the present day as well. Jesus, Jesus taught us to say, give us today our bread. Give us today our bread. Jesus also taught in the Beatitudes, he says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I did it, I messed up my pages. So God's grace is a power that we're given and a power that we can use daily, every day. But it's also important to understand this about God's grace. God's grace is something that God does through us, not to us. God's grace comes through us. So when we pray, Father, give us today our daily bread, we can't be asking for food, for sustenance, so that we have enough food to eat every day. 
But you know, we can also be asking for the bread of life. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So we can live in God's word. We can live in the bread of life. We can ask for it to come over us every day. And as we do, God's grace is in us and it's empowered to come out in the now through us. And you know, there are many ways that grace can move outward through us as we live our lives. And we never really know what's gonna happen to us day by day or even moment by moment. So asking for God's grace to move through us every day should really be a part of our daily prayers. Simply ask God for his grace to come through you as you live the day. It's a very simple prayer. And you know, I only started this recently, but this routine of asking God's grace to come through me as I live my day each day has really changed my life, and I I recommend that you give it a try. I really do. It may change the way you approach each day as well. So as we wrap up this, this talk this morning, I say Jesus is the greatest gift of Christmas. And why is that? Well, for me, the reason is because Jesus brought God's grace into the world, and specifically because God's grace is for all people everywhere. And God's grace is personal. And God's grace is now. So grace may not be your reason for Jesus being the best Christmas gift ever, but I think you would agree that grace is a good reason. But remember this. You're going to have a takeaway today. God's grace is in you. And God's grace is available to come through you day by day, one day at a time. So let's pray. Father, it's such a great gift of Christmas that you sent yourself and the man Jesus into our lives to break into human history and to fulfill the covenant promise that you made that evil would be destroyed and that we would have the hope of eternal life forever in heaven. We thank you that we are your children and that day by day we can grow to know you better and to react more like you in the world as we, as we come upon things in our day. To reflect your image, to pre- pre- reflect your love. And so I just pray that we can have that. We can have that awareness one day at a time, every morning, to ask you to come into our lives afresh and to help us to be able to move through the day witnessing and showing the example of your love, your grace. In Jesus' name I pray.